Hello listeners, in the uh, great words of the fantastic John Bon Jovi, we're halfway there. That is eight episodes out of 16 of the series, Into the Secret Lives of Leaders. And today's guest, we have a quite phenomenal woman by the name of Reshma Sahoni, who is the co-founder of Seed Camp, which is Europe's premier VC seed fund. Rich, do you want to tell us more of what we can enjoy today? Yeah, so Reshma's really interesting interview. Uh, it's kind of taking a look from the other side of the table. Um, anybody who's kind of interested in getting involved in venture investing, uh, but also actually, you know, from the entrepreneur's side, it's, it's also, uh, there's a lot of insight there. Um, what was very interesting with Seacamp is actually their investment in TransferWise, which was an, such a superb investment. I think it returned uh, the entire value of the fund in that one investment. Um, multiple times over and that's without even selling their, their whole stake in it so um, very very experienced investor knows what to look for when investing in startups and um, gives some really great insights and tips as to what to look for in this interview and very honest as well very honest about the sort of different uh, different things that she does like doesn't like and um, her relationship with her co-founder their strengths and weaknesses as well so definitely if you are an early stage um, entrepreneur and you're looking for your first round, your first proper round, Seedcamp are probably going to be top of your list. So if you want to know how to raise the important money from the best people, this is the one for you. From Runway East Studios in London, welcome to the Secret Lives of Leaders. A very lovely welcome to one of the best network ladies in UK tech. As the co-founder of not only the first ever, but also arguably the most successful seed fund in Europe, Seedcamp. A quick way to test the quality of Reshma's Seedcamp is knowing the fact that in the early days of Gravel, we were rejected by them. For all the right reasons, of course. This was before we moved to mobile, but one way or another, they know how to pick a winner, even if they might miss a few along the way. Right? Not not just you guys. We've missed a few more. Okay, good. Good to hear. Thanks. City Mapper, Deliveroo. Are you crazy? I know. I can't believe missed the big three. Anyway, <laughs> um, by only part selling their stake in the most successful investment, they've already returned their entire fund back as the high-profile fintech unicorn TransferWise was originally developed before Rashma's eyes and with her support and brain power. Most importantly, brain power, of course, right? Yeah. With over 200 investments to her name, it's not fair to focus only on their largest as they've backed many really exciting winners, which she'll be talking to us about today. With her roots from India, teenage years in America and an MBA in France, it's Europe she chosen. She has chosen of the three continents to call home. And it's fair to say she's had a huge impact on the technology scene here. So we're better off thanks to her and her lovely co-founder, Carlos. So Reshma, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Good to be here. So Seacamp is 10 years old. How does that feel? Yeah, we're almost there this September. Uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, time does move very fast in a startup world. Yeah. And uh, being, you know, being a co-founder of a startup ourselves, it certainly moved at, at sort of light speed, right? Do, and, uh, do you feel like an entrepreneur being, a, you know, co-founder of a fund? It's always interesting. VCs do quite often consider themselves entrepreneurs. Yeah, no, for sure. Look, I think, you know, when we set it up, when you set up anything from zero to one, you're, you're an entrepreneur. 
entrepreneur, right? And uh, and all the more when people think you're crazy, probably. So, you know, we were a disruptive force. Nothing like this was ever done. We were bringing a product to market, which was seed funding and, and the nature of it kind of through these application processes and start saying, no matter what, we'll invest. So that was, you know, fairly disruptive. And then you, you have your messaging. Who are you targeting? What's your customer base? You know, you're, you're checking if your customer likes you. Is, do, do they like the product? Mm. Do they? So you kind of do all of that over this, you know, over this decade, this time period. So, so it's not dissimilar. And, and we use technology as a, as a clear kind of um, our toolkit, right? And, and, a, and again, a, a, a critical part of how we grow and how we help our companies. So on you know, all those fronts. Definitely a startup then. Yeah. Just a, a scale up. Okay, because you've got the 10-year marker, so you have to... That's right, that's That's, that's right. the difference. Um, So on that note, what is SeedCamp? So, you know, as as all good things, I think, and and you guys, you know, I'm sure you go through this, thinking about this is you evolve. And so what is SeedCamp? I think we're at the core, the mission still is we want to give, you know, European talent a a stand on the global stage, and we want to help build... um, you know, extremely relevant businesses. And to us, that means sort of billion, multi-billion, hundreds of billions worth, worth of value, right? Because that, that kind of shows you're really impacting, again, at, at a very global stage. So that core mission hasn't changed. Um, and, you know, and we want to do it, we want to do it for people who come from anywhere and through all kinds of backgrounds as well. So that's the core. But how we've how we've evolved is we're definitely putting more capital to work. So um, you know our check sizes have gone from 50k to in a in a new fund that we're fundraising for um, there'll be more sort of 150k to 400k. Mm. So that's that's quite a dramatic evolution. Um, but it meets the needs of our customers, our that's changing say, customers. Also, so. probably meets the need of there's much more. Um, Competition, I guess, is the right word. There's more startups now, and it's more of a thing to leave your uh, corporate job and try something. And a lot of very intelligent people are doing that, which makes it an incredibly competitive market. And you do need more capital to get from A to B. Absolutely, and uh, both from competition for you guys, um, but for competition for us as well. And mm-hmm. we're, you know, our view is we always want to stay ahead of it and let the competition sort of come behind us. And from a micro level, it's uh, it's always like, oh, there's competition. But from a macro level, it's exactly what we set out to do ten years ago: is to have, you know, six hundred of organizations that look that were us sort of 10 years ago, now there's, you know, a few hundred of those, right? That's exactly so what we wanted. who do you see as your competition, like direct competition? Because you just mentioned Intex, but they're surely not a competitor of yours, really. You're more, surely partners yeah, in no, many ways. Exactly. I mean, that was contextually different sure. when okay. we were talking yeah. about it. So, so no, I mean, we're, we're fortunate and, and quite unique in that um, a lot of the VCs and angels have actually it funded us. And, mm. you know, essentially Saul Klein, who, who was co-founder of Seacamp with me, was at Index at the time. So Indexer co-founder and uh, the guys at, you know, um, Atomico and all of those folks, we were, we started it all up to, together. So the VCs and, and angels are in there. We have family offices and so forth. So I think that said, this industry is quite different again, how you guys operate is there's so much co-optation. So we're competitive, we're but we're cooperating a ton. So look, with our 150k checks, you know, I'm sure. Why did we pick that number? It didn't come out of thin air. You know, you see a lot of SEIS, right? But what we're hearing a lot in the market is uh, um, founders love 
the, the fact that there is so much more kind of capital at that at that stage, but the terms aren't always great and they're not always getting the support that they need to go to the next stage. Mm. Um, and you're seeing these like first seed, second seed, third seed rounds. And that that dilutes the founders quite a lot. It, it, it messes up the cap table. So we kind of said, you know, this is a place where we can we can really make a difference. And so 150K, um, almost like a speed seed round is, is what we're you know trying to do next is to get into that layer. And so to some extent, I'm sure we compete with some angels, but one of the things we want to do is with our 150, allow angels to also co-invest with us at that stage. Okay. And then in the rounds where we're you know writing the 300, 400K checks, they're often going to be one to two million. So we're going to be the second largest check there. Mm. And for there, again, VC is probably going to lead it. There are going to be angels. Or there's going to be us involved. So will we end up... Uh, displacing a few angels or a VC, another VC, probably. Okay. But that's, again, the nature of it, right? That makes sense. Can, can you give us an idea of some of the companies you've backed? Give us some of the range of ones that jump out at you. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it always... So it's interesting about venture in, investing. And if you're, you know, if you're at this sort of bleeding edge, you're always looking out like five to ten years. Mm. And you're trying to make these bets of a company or a set of founders that's going to last that time. So it's... a uh, you know, it's fascinating to kind of be at that level. And then a few years in, people are like, oh, yeah, of course, that was that was always going to happen. Right. So um, transfer wise was always really obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I think those guys will tell you, like their first round was, was after us was tough. It wasn't it wasn't a total you know, cakewalk. Right. So but but look, fintech. Yeah, we, we um, backed our first fintech in 2007. And it was, you know, it... it, it Recession. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but the technology wasn't there. The distribution kind of wasn't there. And uh, and ultimately it failed, but it all gave us a taste of what financial services, you know, consumed on the mobile could look like in, mm-hmm. in a few more years when things caught up, right? And so then obviously you've seen us do TransferWise, but um, we just caught up with the with Nikolai of Revolut, kind of how they're launching products. Um, at, at such speed is is immense to sort of watch and see you know see their growth and um, we brought back to Moniz and and uh, Curve and so forth and in you know fintech prop tech again we kind of looked at that market quite early in the last sort of two three years ago and said all right how is this market changing so we're looking a lot at that and health tech ed tech AI obviously and so forth so you know given the volume we do we're investing in forty companies a year okay. roughly. It's like you gotta look very cross sector and you know quite mm. horizontal. What's the process? So someone comes in. So for those who don't know, how does it actually work? So I want to apply to Seed Camp. How do I do it? And what's the process I would expect going through with you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the one of the risks you know we run into now, ten years old, is we're so well known, and so we and, and we have a huge network as well. Mm. So one of the risks is that we're not true to our mission, which was to back someone from anywhere any background, all of that, right? So really important part of, of what we do is we, we have a very open application system. Um, and, and we'll, you know, we'll change that and involve how, how that's done. But essentially, you could be from literally any corner of Europe or, or the planet. And uh, if Europe's of interest, you know, you come through that application process. So that's on the on the sort of 150K check level. Yeah. And then to on the three to 400K, it's extremely network driven. So we really, on that, we definitely do not, um, we do not really take completely blind sort of 
people coming into us. It's so it's very network driven. So we have those two approaches. And how many of the later stage ones are there as opportunities? Three or four hundred k checks. How many of them do you expect to deploy a year? Yeah, so we want to do at the hundred fifty k. We want to do about twenty to twenty five. And then in the, the three to four hundred K, about ten to fifteen a year. Okay. So the relationships are really important, right? And is it is it like a course or is it just like mentorship? Because you know, do you spend like time going through like a actual program or? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the luxury of being around for for as long as we have is we've tried a number of things, and mm-hmm. and and you know, we're better and smarter about what works and and what doesn't. So, in in terms of both sets of companies, they all they come in through different ways, but they actually become part of the the same network. Mm-hmm. And the the network, you know. Those network network effects that you guys have in you know your businesses similarly to ours, we now have a founder group of five hundred plus people. We have you know co investors, six hundred unique co investors in our companies. We have fifty LPs in our fund. Mm. Those those network effects are incredible. So basically, what we do is you know take these forty companies a year and in batches um, have them go through a system of support, and it's extremely intense the first three months three to nine months, we work a lot on milestones, fundraising, how do you get to that next big jump? And then nine months onwards, they often have others around them. So whether it's angels or VCs or or whatnot. And so we work, you know, hand in hand with those guys saying, you guys are working with them on this and you guys are doing this. Let us, you know, let's do this this or that with them. So it it sort of changes over time. How did that actually start with you and Carlos? Like, where did you guys meet? Why Carlos? Why you? How yeah. does any of that make sense? Neither of you are British or even, is Carlos even European? Oh, that's like, so that that's really interesting. I mean, originally, obviously, it started with me and Saul back okay. in 2007. Right. So, well, let's take us back to that. Okay, tell, okay. us, tell us the story of how SeedCamp started. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's really kind of, it's funny. I'm not sure I've even shared it quite quite in this kind of a forum. So, so at the time, I was at, 3i, uh, Saul had just come from Skype into into Index, and you know, Nicholas and Matthias were setting up Atomico post Skype as well. So you had this kind of group of people doing quite new things again, kind of changing from from. Uh, and I'd come from Vodafone, so you know we were shifting shifting ourselves personally, and the in and the kind of VC industry was just you know really starting to. Um, starting to come together a lot. TechCrunch had just, I think, been uh, been launched and also growing quite early days of growth and launching in Europe. So mm-hmm. you had all these sort of you know interesting forces, and we got to know each other quite quickly because it was such a small community at the time. And in that time, competition, uh, competition, exactly. And in the, in that time, Saul, you know, I think had been watching YC that was two years old. About, by that point, I think Techstars was a year old. Um, and he, he started to talk to a few people, including he came into 3i to say, hey, why don't we do a summer kind of a program camp, you know, um, around uh, giving giving startups money. And I think sort of I, I was leave, as wanting to leave 3i at the time. They kind of wanted me to leave as well. And so it was just not the right fit. And same thing as entrepreneurs. It's like I was thinking, what next for me, right? I'd been in Vodafone and I'd been in venture back in uh, back in New York for a, a little bit. So I, I really loved venture. I thought it was my calling, um, but I wanted to do it in a different way. And, um, you know, a year later, three, I left venture anyways. So a lot of the things I, I saw that I didn't think worked well for founders and especially first time founders and especially founders who didn't who didn't already know 
you know, the Atlas guys at the time or Benchmark at the time or, or, or Index. I just thought, how did these guys and girls get through the door? Yeah. And so, so all those ideas came to, you know, it's a confluence of those ideas. They came together in what Saul was sort of taking around to a, a few different folks. And I said, you know, hey, three eyes willing to ha- let me work on this for six months. And, you know, I'd love to love to do this and, and, and help you out. And it just sort of got got going from from there. And Saul kind of announced Seed Camp there. And, mm-hmm. and, and the background, as you do with with your when you're launching your companies, we were just coding and, and building the application system. And it's like, oh, God, we got to go live. And yeah. this is gonna, you know, we have like, two days to, to make this go live. So it's just, again, it's, it's, it's fun, interesting. And that's what, you know, you often talk to, like you talk to Tavid or you guys as well Is what was the, you know, what are the fun bits? And it was those early days yeah. of, of just doing stuff in the, in the back. And anyway, so that, that launched. And I think we were astounded by where applications came from literally all across Europe for an entity that didn't exist, right? Three months before. So it was just, yeah, we were astounded by the response um, and we've got some great companies. I mean, my builders become kind of a, a, a known brand in the UK in terms of you know getting getting builders or, or people to work on, on your home. And Zamanta uh, uh, guys were, were pretty well known. They've moved to New York now. But we got some great, you know, very early companies there. And it just went from went from there. So it's it's just luck. Well, it's luck and being in the right place at the right time with the right kind of attitude and you know network, right? Obviously, of course. And I guess you know really uh, unique positioning for a competitive market, as there just weren't that many other people in yes. that space at that that early. Yeah. And if you are a first time entrepreneur, especially, then yeah. all the handholding is a massive value add, and, and you I, wouldn't know where to go for it. And and I think I think. The fact that we went around, you know, uh, and then when I joined Saul, um, we went around and said to all the VCs, come in behind this. So we didn't sort of partner up with just one fund or mm-hmm. one entity mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, shoot from there. We, we said to Eden and Nordstone and Balderton and Tomico and Index and Atlas. I mean, they all came in. Anthemis and they all, Venrex, they all came in into this first fund. Which is incredible. Yeah. Like, how do you get that many VCs to I guess work for them together? It's still flow, right? They want that deal flow, exactly. so they're doing it for their best interests as well. Because exactly. They get early access to the metrics and the information of the companies they want to fund. Yeah. And then what we really got mostly out of them, though, was their network. Yeah. And their time. Most mm-hmm. importantly, their time and their desire to mentor and give back, and and that's probably crucial. So you know, we all talk about a lot about money, but really that time and that mentorship. Um, and backing, you know, and backing our companies in those next rounds. So I think, uh, you know, Eden did like three or four companies. Um, you know, uh, I think Atlas did one or two. I mean, that, that was huge that, yeah. that we had that backing um, right after. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. 
Just head to vanta.com slash secret leaders. That's V-A-N-T-A.com slash secret leaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Um, question that you're definitely not going to want to answer, which is especially why I'm going to ask it. But So who's your favorite fund you've worked with on later stage? everyone has a favourite so no one will be offended and now anyone that's not that favourite fund would know they need to work harder for rationalist <laughs> love so that's uh, opportunity so I, I, I think I think actually this is where we, we try to differentiate a bit is, um, we have no favourites no that's not I, I can I can name a few Good. no um, I won't shy away from the question I don't, I don't think it's about funds I think it's and I think this is where we differentiate I think with, with Seed Camp we try to for it not to be at all about sort of Carlos or me. We try to have it be about Seedcamp, which is our EIRs, our mentors, us, mm. our team. Whereas with funds, I do think it's different because you do get a partner on or, uh, you know, team of partner associate on your board. And they're very much responsible for you as a, as a business from a zero to IPO, right? So I guess um, probably I don't have favorites in terms of funds, but, you know, who, who I've who I, we really enjoy working with. I mean, Robin Klein is is just an incre- you know incredible kind of um, incredible champion for you as a business uh, board member and and tough kind of will push you also right and yeah. you know Fred Fred Destin very successful very successful yeah. Fred Destin as well um, he's now obviously at, at Excel he was on the he was on the Seed Camp board so we actually uniquely also had a board and mm. and these guys were on it and uh, and and so you know love love working with him he's very much again he'll he'll push he'll challenge but he very much lets go in terms of this is your business you got to run it yeah. and uh and you know i've done the best in terms of my knowledge and my my advice so um i guess where where i you know and people are different in their in, in their kind of um who they like to work with and whatnot i guess you know carlos and i really value uh board members who can really spot um, the real issues, yeah. the two or three real issues in a, in a business, and then you know put a lot of energy behind that, and then the rest you know doesn't matter as much, right? And they sure. don't get worked over, work uh, worked up about that. So, so to clarify, did not shy away from the question, but did not answer the question. <laughs> so are you going to be a politician one day? Do you think that's going to happen? Absolutely. Actually, I had a, I, I had this like 
vision when I was younger. I was like, I will be a U.S. senator. Yeah. Because I couldn't be the president because I wasn't born in the U.S. Right. And uh, I could, so I couldn't be a couple of things, vice yeah. president, I think. Uh, but even a good reputation, well. why ruin it? By, by going, going into politics. politics. No one yeah, likes so, politicians. So that was 20 plus years ago, okay, right? Because cool. I'm so old and uh, now I don't want to be. But, uh, right, okay. Now you realize how nice it is to be liked. <laughs> There's no point. Um, okay, for people that don't understand, can you just give us literally the super basics on how um, the general equity structure of like logistics behind a fund works? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so you know, unlike uh, uh, actually not dissimilar to uh, the fundraising process you guys go through. Every few years, you know, VCs. Um, at different stages, go through the same fundraising process. We go out with our deck and our story and our uh, and our vision. And actually, what's happening is, if you look at uh, smaller funds like us, so sub hundred million funds, mm-hmm. we're going out the market faster and faster. So you're getting you know us out to market to raise every nowadays sort of two years, three years, sometimes eighteen months, which is again not you know not dissimilar to you guys, right? So so that's on the kind of the start of what we do. And, and look, I mean, I think there's two things is, you know, people get wrapped up in, um, are you backing me and you're backing me as a founder and we're in this together and it's a marriage and it's long term. Yes, but we are managing money. Mm-hmm. We are an asset manager and, uh, you know, we're ma- managing whether it's tens of millions, hundreds or, or billion on behalf of a Sometimes you, right, your your pension money or sure, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or or such will be in there, um, up to obviously educational institutions or, or whatnot. So, to you know, I think you can't dis disregard that. And I think these sort of as a VC asset class, we've done a bad job of actually talking about the money side of it. I think we we've you know gone with the um, hype. the hype, yeah, about the founder journey and being there, but. We're managing money. So anyway, so, so why is that so important? It it dictates a lot of the way we think of how we invest. So, you know, the natural tendency is, so you kick off and then you have your two, three years of your core investing, and then you're going to ride sort of the rest in terms of follow-ons and, and so forth, especially for our stage is really crucial those first two and a half, three years of, of investing. And it's interesting, like, you know, you'll take different risks at the beginning of the fund because you know you have nine or ten years to prove out that business. You'll take different risks at year three. And then mm. it's just it's the nature of it. And uh, you'll take different, um, you know, you'll choose different things based on what sectors you've you've invested in. So Gravel, for example, you know, you said oh, we got rejected by Seacamp. I bet you, but you know, part of it was like we had done Nuji at the time, yeah. and I think we had done a few things. Yeah, and you're yeah. you're like and we were similar then too because we were web. Yeah, originally. exactly. Right. And also not just like similar and we don't want to invest in super competitive things. But the other thing is like, oh, my God, we're exposed now to prop tech or fintech or, or uh, you know, retail tech or whatever it is. So that's also, you know, informs kind of our our strategy as, as we move through and, and for these, you know, VCs as well as th- those three, four years. Right. So so that's kind of a lot of things to, to keep in mind. And mm. and also where you've been burned, like, um we've had some tough times in food tech and things we've, we passed on missed and, and things we have back that hasn't worked. Right. Yeah. So next time you see a food tech, you're like, Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Tougher. Yeah. So does that, does that answer your question? Yes, yeah. it does. But I mean, also I wanted to know a little yeah. bit, um, getting down to specifics. So for example, different kind of, um, way, but we had Simon Cook, who I guess was with mm. his 3i. Yeah. Right this time? Uh, no, I think he had, 
No, he was a DOJ spree. No, I know, but I think uh, originally it probably was. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. No, before my time, yeah, though. Let's just let's just say that at some point I'm going to get someone that was a three eye. <laughs> da- anyway, Daniel Waterhouse. Yes, there you, go. there you go. He was definitely a three eye. Yeah. Um. And anyway, so Simon told us all about the history of EC, and it was really interesting you know, how it all started mm. and Valley and like, the, oh, whole right. logic, like yeah. the whole long story behind it. Yeah, yeah. But. What we didn't touch on is specifically how does a fund work from the financing perspective. So what percentage typically does a fund take? How does it get a return? How is the incentive works? I think that's quite interesting for those that just don't know. And if you don't know, then it doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, so good. Right, right. Good question. Okay, so, um, you know, very, very much the the sort of our, our equity, desired equity stake in companies is very relevant to what we're hoping to return as a fund. Yep. So, you know, we're out fundraising for our next fund and we're, you know, we're looking at returns of three to five X net of the fees we're charging as well. Right. So when you, when you map that out and again, everyone has a different strategy. Some funds are doing 10 investments a year, uh, five to 10 investments a year. We're doing 40. So our strategy will be different. One of the things where we've had to educate a lot of our LP base which isn't used to guys like an LP us, is... uh, limited partner into our fund, yep. basically, is uh, investing into our fund, is how do you make, make the math work where you're going to be able to return three three to four X? So if, you know, if we do our jobs really well and get to that kind of a return, and why why that kind of a number? Because that, that essentially means an internal rate of return of more than 15, 20%. And why is that? Because that's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so, because what do you get at the bank right now? Like zero, I don't know, one percent, yeah. whatever zero. it is, right? Yeah. And a really safe return is six, seven percent IRR. So, if you're doing 15, 20, 30, 40, obviously that's very, very good, yeah, right? Sure. Um, for To get really basic there. So, that's what we're kind of quote unquote promising. And so, to deliver that, we look at all right, if this fund is going to be 120 companies, that's our objective, right? Because that's, that's how we operate. What are the equity stakes we need at kind of the exit points of these companies and knowing our death rates? So now we have a track record. We know what in fund one, two, three, what are, you know, what are the percentage of companies shutting down? At our stage, it's much higher than what, you know, um, an index or Atomico will be comfortable with. Right. Um, so so we're looking at, OK, what is so actually in, in fund three? It's a really, again, never talked about this before. So, uh, you know. Hopefully, they're quite hopefully interesting. Hopefully, Carlos won't mind. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, Carlos won't mind. No, and it's in our, um, we're actually going to release our fundraising deck probably after okay, we cool. close the fund. Yeah, so that, that should really be pretty interesting. Um, but, you know, we looked at, we did 120 investments in Fund 3. We've looked at our top 25 or 30 investments, and we've, you know, they're valued at about half a billion. And that's a year or two after writing the check. So it's like, okay, they're roughly 20, roughly valued at 20 million each. Mm-hmm. Do we think that's healthy? Because we tend to remember get in at a one to three or four million valuation. Yep. That's pretty damn healthy, right? Three, yep. two and a half yep. years in. And then we're looking at, okay, well, can this in aggregate, this whole portfolio, probably especially the top th- third of it, be worth three billion? Because at our um, at our ownership stake then of roughly 2% on aggregate, again, sure. of three, three billion, it's 60 million. Yep. Our fund is 20 million, 3x. Yep. And then upside, right? Sure. So we're like, is it realistic? We're going out to fundraise and we're going to pitch the story to LPs with a serious face saying, you know, give us give us 50 million now, right? And saying, 
looking at our 20 million fund, is 60 million possible? Can these companies be worth 6x today, from today? Mm-hmm. And it's very likely, right? And we think more, right? And hence, we're like when we're catching up with the Revolut guys and so forth, we're like, yep, we're, we're headed in that direction, property partner and, and so forth. We're headed in that direction. So you, it becomes very realistic. Now, take that back to you guys as, as a gravel, you know, looking at your round, I'd be like, okay, where does this fall into? Where are we in the life of the fund? Is this a 10Xer? And so we we can't win with 10X. Our death rate is so high yeah. that we can't win with 10X. We need, you know, 80X, 100X, 1000X to make our fund work. Private equity needs 2X, yeah, 3X, hence, because their death rates are so low. Yeah. Index needs, you know, that you, you hear 10X often mm-hmm. from VCs, like the bigger VCs, because that's according to de- their death rate and their size of fund. Yeah. We know 10X doesn't work for us. And so when we look at a, a gravel or others, it's like, can this be 50X? Can this... And then you look at, you know, what companies are getting bought, you know, bought out for. And we had this conversation downstairs in the cafe. It's mm-hmm. like, if your growth rate is crazy and you, you're going to, you know, you're going to do that in the next two, two, three years, your M&A has to be like half a billion close to it um, for for that to make sense if you're not really generating much revenue. If you're starting to generate revenue, then that's all you're going to be measured at, uh, measured by. And so ultimately, you know, for, for it to work for us, it's got to be 500 million plus for, for certain companies or billion or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so your revenue has to be half a billion or a billion at least because com- public companies are getting valued at often like 2x revenue, yeah. 3x revenue. Yeah. And so you see, if you start to then backwards, you know, do that math, you arrive with like, all right, is this company going to make 100x for us? Yes. And, and, then, and so you say no sometimes, not because it's not great and not because it's not going to make some just wrong awesome stage. money for yeah. wrong stage, wrong, you know, just the wrong fit for us. So can you give us an idea and you've done this your third fund? Yeah. So can you give us an idea of the various successes and death rates by percentage or raw numbers yeah. Uh, yeah. per fund? Just yeah. to give uh, listeners some insight to know that actually... VCs do have a lot of logic behind their calculations. Absolutely, and uh, and you know we've I, I think it's a European thing. Um, is we had a lot of low death rate early on, um, and I and 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 I think in Europe you tend to last longer. I think you get to revenue faster, and so you can just sort of live on that, right? You can live on one to five million in revenue for quite a long quite a long time, right here. Um, so so if you look at Fund One, we have only twenty two companies in there. That model doesn't work to find really outsized winners. So at the stage we're doing, we figured out it needs to be like 100, 120 companies, potentially even more. But we've certainly found our sweet spot to be um, 100, 120. So in the first fund, we only had like quarter of them die. Um, but we also didn't have a billion dollar business so far come out of it. We've got a few com- great companies in there, so we'll see. But it's not looking like that, that, that that'll potentially happen, right? But there, the, the, the fund was two million, so two and a half million. Mm-hmm. So for us, 10 million exits made a lot of money. 50 million, 100 million exits made us tons, you know, tons of money because yeah. our ownership stakes were also enough that if they didn't raise tons of money, then those were, those exits were brilliant, actually. Yeah. You know, as we, so as we move up, what, what we've seen with fund two and fund three is nearly a 50% death rate. That's huge. So, yeah. you know, if you jump from 25 to you double your death rate, mm. the pressure on the returns is, you know, doubled, right? And yeah. so so every check we're writing, when you have 50% loss, you're essentially saying, I didn't invest 75K, I invested 150, basically, you know? So so again, those pressure, and, and I'm still getting the same equity. Yeah. Um, so the pressures are just so much higher. 
So, so yeah, we've seen 25 to 50, more, more like 50% now. Okay. And then... And we're successful. Yes, so, true. you know, it's, uh, it's crazy. So how does that all trickle down to... Um, so you and Carlos run the fund. So does that mean you guys are living in gold-plated mansions in Bishop's Avenue yet? Or not quite yet? I've not it... invited you to my house then. No, no, mansion, <laughs> if you don't mind. Mansion. Castle. Um, how does that work, genuinely, from a, a co-founder of a fund perspective? Like, yep. how, you know, you guys pick the winners, yep. make the decision. Yep. You obviously deserve the biggest reward for it, even if it's not your money, so making all the decisions yeah, yeah, for yeah. everyone else. How does that actually work? So um, usually, you, you know, you, you hear a lot um, around 220, So and people don't know generally what that means, but usually there's like a, a fee of somewhere around 2%. Right. And, and actually, LP, limited partners, are, are putting a lot of pressure on those fees, right? So because these... So, so these it's like a management fund, fee, right? Management yeah. fee. Okay. Basically salaries, right, for, for people. And so um, usually the fund life is 10 years, and you might add on another year or two. Frankly, I think for for the stage where we're at, it should be longer. But your IRRs then then get impacted, so nobody kind of wants to to do it longer than ten years. People feel like that's a long lockup for money, anyways, because yeah. you know that LP money is locked up yeah, in yeah. in there. And, yeah. and uh, so so throughout that ten year time, you will get returns. Like you will you know you'll have exits. And for us, they often start at year three, year three to four five, and then continue. So you mm-hmm. get this almost like an annuity stream. For another five or so years from from exits that that are happening in liquidity that's that's happening so anyway so so that fee can be two percent annually for ten years twenty percent potentially of the fund or less right or or more um, yeah. and we we had some crazy fee in, in fund one which was just too silly to almost talk about it was so high and then we which transfer why is it in fund one no fund two oh. which was a crazy fee as well oh, but what a shame yeah yeah and then <laughs> and then you hear of like a twenty percent carry which right. is a fancy word for saying profit share okay. and actually it's not different to your ownership stake so say you own twenty percent of gravel yeah. you know that if you have a liquidation preference. All your investors are going to get their money first, anyways. Yeah. So our, our carry is essentially that is like all our investors are going to get their money first, right, and, and then so so it's but we keep essentially say it's twenty percent. Some funds get and get away with thirty percent. Mm. Some are lower. We essentially have a twenty percent ownership of that fund as you know as as um as partners for the whole life of it. It never sure. gets diluted essentially, right? right. So. Um, all of that to say, you know, you know, are we living in, in what Bishop's Avenue, right? Uh, no, not quite yet. Um, which because it's it's long, yeah. it's and it's longer than you guys, right? You guys will exit in potentially three years, five, seven. Fact to any listener. Yeah, fact, <laughs> fact. No, potentially, right? And some of you will be there for fourteen, sure. fifteen years yeah, or, yeah. or longer. But you'll pretend you'll have a life changing moment. Sometimes within a year, sometimes yeah. five, sometimes ten. We realistically won't have that life changing moment for 10 years right. and look at me now 10 years later and we we've returned our first fund and i am in that quote-unquote carry yeah. so we're getting i am getting returns out of that sure. but we also have to reinvest into our next fund so it's like i'm like okay here you go i got it in one hand and out the other right so, is this so a, a lifetime commitment it kind of sounds like it because it doesn't really sound like there's ever really a natural end to the cycle Yes, and, and you're I, always going to be so fucking curious about what's going to happen. <laughs> yes, it, it, so it is. It's, it's, yeah. it's emotional. It's practical in that you're taking money from one hand and always sort of and our and again our LPs are putting a lot of pressure on us, putting more and more of our money into our personal money into our fund. So mm-hmm. you, you got to it's called a GP commit. So you know so that's that's all that's all happening. So you do get into this pattern, and because 
you just like you guys, you have Keyman and you're making sure you're, you know you've got an option pool and you're vesting. Not again, not dissimilar for us is our LPs want to know, you know, are Carlos and Rachel gonna actually buy it? Are they gonna actually work on this, right? Yeah. Or are we putting this money in and they're kind of like, bye, see you later. Um, so 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 that's critical too. So you're locked into these sort of mm. three, five, usually in the life of the fund, ten years. Yeah. So you see, you know, you'll hear VCs often tweet about I just signed up for another 10 years. Um, so it becomes this, this cycle either can be virtuous because you are super successful and, and it works for everyone yeah. or it can be quite vicious. And uh, in that people, sh- um, this is con- uh, controversial, but maybe like Arsene Wenger, who's, you know, should, maybe you should leave now, right? Sure. Speaking Arsenal, Arsenal so. fans, so <laughs> it's the other thing. It's all I talk about entrepreneurship and that. So, yeah. And yeah. so for us, it's the same as like, in how many funds should I leave? Or Carlos aren't leave? Great or, yet. Uh, Carlos is bold, 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 So I guess he's, he's taking one step closer in more stress than Arsene Wenger. Coming back to uh, the nature of how fund works, and this yeah. is hopefully the last question, just so people get a really clear understanding. Um, you obviously have to get your money out of companies in each fund. So how does the wrapping up look like? And obviously, this news just a couple of weeks ago with Transferwise that is an example, right? You had to get the money out. So what's the process and why do you have to do it? And how? what's the pressure on you for that? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we talked about, um, so the, potentially money is locked up for 10 years. No one really wants wants that, right? And uh, um, for, for multiple reasons. And so one of the things, you know, we, we were conscious of, and this is a discussion that goes um, hand in hand with our LPs and often with our founders. The founders who really understand fund dynamics understand this. Um, and, and understand why venture capital is, is right for them or is absolutely not right for them. So I think those who, those who get it get that, you know, we're looking at liquidity points. And it doesn't have to be you selling your business. There's other ways to get liquidity, which we'll, which we'll go through with TransferWise. But it, it is, you know, your VC is going to want liquidity, whether that's unlikely in the first year or otherwise, why are we in this business? But mm-hmm. it's going to be in that kind of three, five, seven year time frame, maybe, maybe 10 years if it's looking at a, you know, five, $10 billion business. Right. So towards that. So, so I think it's a healthy conversation and, and with people who get it. And, uh, and, and if you're too emotional about it, it's a pretty rubbish conversation. Mm-hmm. So, so in TransferWise's case, I mean, we came in, you know, in that sort of that pre-seed application process and so forth. So obviously we had specific terms around that, which were on our website, like, you know, 50 K for, for, for 10%, right? So that kind of um, level of evaluation and, and they're, you know, rumored to be a, at a billion plus in valuation, right? So it's kind of like, all right, where are we around this table? It's like, that's a huge, you know, that's it. That's a huge uplift. We were the first. It's a huge check. rumor. It's a huge rumor. Um, it, we were, we were, you know, we've been in the only ones in that cap table that first kind of first days, right? Is it sensible um, to take some money off the table? So again, it doesn't have to be the pressure of sell your business, sell your business. And that can happen, right? You get boardrooms where, where that, that conversation does happen. But I guess if it's a high profile, high growth enough business, there's enough suitors to want to take it at exactly, this stage. Exactly. So yeah. our view, and we discussed it both, obviously first with the founders and, and with our LPs currently to say, concurrently to say, you know, what do you guys think? Like, is that again, with a great advisory board is like, what do you think? Is it, is it right to like take some money off the table? And so all everyone kind of like, yeah, that, that sort of makes mm. sense. And the founders are like, we'll help you. Right. And uh, so, so doing that process, we essentially said, let's take a small part of our stake off the table, which returned, you know, 90% of the fund and let's let the rest be that upside. Right. So, as an asset manager, I think that's a very good asset manager who's, who's thinking of 
the downside as well as the as the upside. Yeah. So we have a lot still riding on, on the business, but it's not the sort of I have my home, I have food on the table sort of sort of money, right? Mm-hmm. For for our for our own LPs as, as such. So so that's kind of the the rationale around it. And but you do get you get some interesting pressures, especially um as you get you know, toward the end of the life of your fund, like yeah. that eight year mark, nine, 10 year mark. But if you're a good, um, if you're a good investor, you've educated your entrepreneurs at year one that look, you know, where do you want to be? Do you, if you want to run this 10 years, mm-hmm. awesome. Let, you know, let us know. Maybe you shouldn't raise, you want to raise, run it 50 years, you know, then you've got to be conscious that at these moments, you'll hear that around your yeah, board yeah. and you'll get people saying, all right, where's, where's the liquidity point here, right? So who actually finds the buyer? How does that process work? Is that your job? Yeah, I mean, there's a market actually of advisors who who focus on secundaries, um, right, as they're like called. Like or someone. Yeah, yeah, as they're okay. called. And so we, we because I think the relationship in TransWise is just so good on, on multiple levels, We because the founders were like, great, we want to help you we actually had an internal process. And so it was just, it saved a lot of fees. It, you know, it was, just an, it was just a very straightforward process. But that said, it can go in many different directions mm. depending on alignment of interests around, um, around, around the table as such. Okay, that makes sense. So you've mentioned um, Deliveroo as a company you missed out on. Mm. What are the biggest other companies you've missed out on that you're like, ah, I actually keep you up at night? Yeah, so I mean, I think I think um, you know, City Mapper was another one. Uh, um, Data Hug and Skim Links, which oh, yeah. was Skim Bit uh, yeah, yeah. many many years ago, uh, and and so 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 that I mean, you know, Pipe Drive, oh, Pipe Drive is another one as as well. So you know, it's it's obviously like a bit of you kind of smile at it, yeah. and you also want to. When you're when you're alone, you cry about it. Of course, <laughs> it's, well, but so, it's, a, it's the nature. It's the nature of it. A of little course. bit. Yeah, you can't get them all right. Well, especially at our stage, right? Because yeah. we're seeing such a. What do you What do you actually look for then? Like, how do you say yes to one and no to another? Is it the founder, or is it the mission, or is it simply like you said earlier, like you know, have we already got our fingers in a couple of these pies? Right. So I think it's it's a number of a number of those things. Um, politician's it's, answer again. <laughs> No, 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 because I think each case is each, each case is different, right? Yeah. So we, we often will um, really fall in love with the founders and, and have a vision or have a belief that they will execute out of these out of the roller coaster that it is and all the pitfalls and also the the uh, the up points, right? Sometimes you fall in love with the idea and think maybe the founders will somehow just manage it even though they're not as capable as 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 we'd like them to be potentially and often we get that very wrong so we really try to you know discipline ourselves around the latter um, and the former we'll do it again and again backing the founders we'll do that again and again and again so sure. we just try to be getting we just try to get better and better at the founder part and uh, and but of course you're looking at how big is this market like so we, we were um uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek like there's so many tools out there for VCs to manage portfolios they're like gosh how big is that market I mean and you know now we might miss it because we'll say how big is that market and pass but maybe I feel like we saw this on an email chain recently about some kind of uh, you know fundraising process tool for VCs yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there's like oh, 100 companies doing this right but what you might see is one of them not only ends up 
having this tool for VCs, mm. but for also angels, private, I mean, angel list is, I guess, a, it, kind yes, of a good of example of it in, in a different way. But so you'll see something emerge and you're like, oh, we missed it. And, but really at the time, you know, you're looking at a hundred, looks like a small market, you're not seeing, you know, so, mm. so yeah, you, you try to make sure you're seeing those where the opportunities is or where, uh, you know, where those angles are. Well, but, speaking of that, what do you actually think is the next big thing? What, what industry really excites you? Is a big growth area where CCAM can really get their teeth stuck into? I mean, we're doing a lot in health tech. So uh, where where costs are dropping um, dramatically, where our money makes sense. Yeah. Like, do I think there's, you know, do I think there's amazing work in, in sort of music and, you know, what Spotify did, does, has done? Like, yes, but we weren't able to play there, right? So it's, it's, so it's also fit about where we can play. Yeah. Um, and, and in, um, you know, biotech, are there amazing pharmaceutical companies? Yes, but we couldn't have played there, right? Mm. But as biotech changes, and there's the more tech around, around that, or as, as just generally health tech changes and, uh, um, you know, things around manufacturing, et cetera, change, where the costs drop dramatically, our 150K, our 400K actually makes a difference. Yeah. And so so those are the sectors, therefore, we get excited by because mm-hmm. it's saying, you know, these this cost. So we have a company called The Rocket Company. And you got you to gotta talk to that, that uh, the founder, Pari, one of these days. And it's it's sort of fascinating what, what they're trying to do. But they're essentially trying to completely change engineering um, around making things, especially expensive things. And, you know, if you can cut the um, process costs for getting a rocket into space by a tenth or a hundredth or what you know is a hundredth of the cost mm. is incredible. It's yeah. million, hundreds of millions, yeah. right? What processes right now are you really solving that save you a hundred million? There's not too many of those. Sure. We're thoroughly excited by that. Yeah. But we then again have to see will 150K get him somewhere meaningful or a million will get him mm. somewhere meaningful to, you know, for that to happen, right? So some, those are some of the sectors that we're quite excited about. Fair enough, obviously, very big picture. Obviously, obviously. artificial intelligence, but we look yeah. at it as a as a tech that then can be applied to dramatically reduce servicing and costs potentially in a finance or in a property or whatever it is. Sense. My question for you is, what attracted you to Europe? And, you know, you've got a South African husband, yeah. as I've seen. A, an American partner? Is that is Carlos American? I can never really work So no, out. so back to, yeah, Carlos is actually Honduran originally. There you and go. And he's a UK citizen. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> okay, him and Wyclef John are having yeah. a lovely time, as I understand it. Um, but what attracted you guys to Europe? What is it about Europe? And, you know, what, like, have you had that challenge, you know, being not from here? And like, well, what really makes it? Your thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I think we are underdogs in that sense. Um, and I, I think I guess it was such a perfect fit to back the underdogs of Europe, European founders, you know, if they're coming from Estonia, which now is obviously super popular. Yeah. But against, you know, seven years ago, people are like startup Estonia, you know, so or, or Slovenia or Romania or wherever. Right. So I guess in a way that it was just that was the attraction is like we can make a difference here. Yeah. And and, you know, per- personally, so I came to do my MBA at INSEAD. Um, and I didn't choose to go to an American school because I just felt like I was one of many there. I mean, I was a—I'm an Indian American investment banker who did engineering. That really like, is so rare. That it, yeah, right. <laughs> it, there's just like thousands of us. Yeah. Um, and so I came to Europe where it's like being a Jewish doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and so I came to Europe, and I was—I think I, I got just attracted to being different. Some a lot of people hate being different. 
and they hate discomfort, I actually enjoyed it and thrive, you know, thrive in it. So, so that was actually weirdly exciting to me. Yeah. So, so I think, I think Carlos obviously had, the, had this, he actually had, I think had visa problems for the U S cause he studied in the U S and so he kind of had no choice. Like he had to come here. His sister was here actually at the okay. time already. So that, that was for him. So we, you can see we have a couple personal um, reasons why we're here, but you know, both for both of us, um, is, is how do you give, and, and Saul has a lot of that kind of in him around kind of underdogs and giving, giving them an opportunity and a right? chance. Yeah, yeah. South African, right? South Africans are so, often like that. And yeah, absolutely. And so our team is made up of a lot of folks like that. Mm. And, uh, and I guess there's a bit of hunger that comes with it and, and you need that hunger at this stage to be, you know, working super hard and, uh, and, and seeing opportunity and the risk. So going back to uh, where you're from, where Carlos is from, and you've been working together for, I guess, 10 years or seven up. years. Yeah. Okay. So seven years. Um, are there things you massively disagree on? And have you had fallings out? And has that been a tough relationship? Yeah, absolutely. I think originally when he came on in, in 2010, we had, a, we had a lot of battles. Um, and, and it's typical. Like I was, you know, he was coming in. Mm. I had already had three years of like, this is my baby and it's, it's my thing. Right. And so, uh, and, and it's a great, it's great to be able to almost have gone through that because when we talk to founders who are often either sole founders or, um, you know, teams that then are bringing on some pretty hyper talented individuals and there's, they need to let go. We can actually talk about it from, from experience versus a lot of other, you know, other investors. So can't really relate to that. Right. So, but that was very difficult. I, I essentially have to not, it's not my baby anymore. It's ours together. And yeah. then and in future years, it's going to be more people's. So thing, as the relationship right? so, develops, is it much more harmonious or do you still fall out regularly? And, and, and what actually happens, does it ever happen where one of you is completely all in on one investment and the other one of you is just yeah. completely all out? And yeah. How do you no, mitigate those? Two great questions there. Absolutely more, more harmonious, but also I would say, um, you know, we still, we still have, have uh, different ways of looking at things and, and discussions about that. As we tell our child, mom and dad are not fighting. We're just having a discussion, right? So, um, but We're just trying but, to make you more money. <laughs> and so, but what the thing is, both of us were actually trained as engineers. I pursued more of the business, actually we're both MBAs as well. I pursued more the kind of uh, business side of it. And he, um, at the beginning, especially of his career, was implementing engineering systems. So, so we were very different in a lot of our thinking. But actually, at the base, we have an engineering mindset and a, and a sort of problem, hypothesis, solution way of working. Mm-hmm. So we just sometimes have very different I- ideas around it. But you know, our core values, I guess, are same, um, and our core process is is roughly the same. So hence, we find so much common common ground. So that answers that question in terms of like what one of us believes fundamentally in, in a business or, and the other one doesn't. So we we're lucky, I guess, because we do, you know, 30, 40 investments a year, we can have that disagreement and do the deal Okay. because we're not so that we don't have that competition internally is because again, we have a volume of, of that. Mm. We, we, we've gotten, we just don't have to deal with that competition, which is actually quite, um, quite, quite a, you know, uh, quite an issue sometimes in, in funds that are limited by number of deals they can do. Yeah. And, and, and there's a real allocation of whose deal it is. We don't have that. Yeah. It's, you can't be there. It's like, it's the platform's deal. Like it's Zcat's deal, you know? Okay, so, great. so, so that really has helped. Those are not the, the, 
the you know those are not the conflicts we have um we have different ones just around like you know uh things around marketing or tech and then we know which which of us is actually the better person for it and we kind of say all right you know you're from experience you just do yeah not only you're more passionate but you actually know more about this and so so i asked you um before the interview to uh give me a friend to give some background on you and tell us a little bit about yourself but you chose alex hoy who, um, as much as I love Alex Hoy, you know, writes and speaks in shorthand, and I thought I'd be lucky to get even a syllable out of him that was intelligible. And I can say that because yeah, he was, all, yeah, exactly. And he he is the gravel chairman, and he's one of our investors, and so I have a very good relationship with Alex enough to know that that might have been a waste of my time. So instead, why don't you just tell me what you think of yourself? How do you describe yourself? Because now you've set yourself up with a difficult question by giving me a terrible reference point. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's really your own fault in the making. So describe yourself. You're right. (laughs) You could have asked Philip. Well, uh, listen, I asked you for a name and you gave me a name and I uh, have enough experience to... Yeah, I called it. I called it. And that's fair. So now you have to tell us uh, about yourself. Describe yourself. Uh, Gosh. Um, Well, I I hope... You know, I hope... One of our strengths, I think, is you have to be self-aware. I think if you're an adventurer... You're working with so many different kinds of people and, and over such different timelines. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be fairly self-aware. So I love hopefully... meta, the answer to describe yourself, be self-aware. It's a very meta <laughs> answer. But continue. So, uh, um, no, I think, I, I think what we, uh, you know, what I obviously have done probably better than a lot of people out there is uh, is work well with people. So, like, people get along and, and you know, have gotten this group of, again, 40, 50 different LPs and mm. we, you know, all to work together and, and uh, our companies. And so, I mean, I think there's inherently like people used to ask a lot at the beginning, it's like, how do you get all these people in a room to just come and give their time? And we've obviously done that through network um, and help, but it do you feel like con- a chameleon in that sense. Like are you quite good at changing your personality yes. to your audience? Yes, absolutely. And uh, I, and I mean, maybe that's a negative in some people's eyes. I think it's transparent. I do it transparently, I hope, and I, I think it works well because I think it's saying you understand your, you're, you're willing to understand your customer. You're willing to see it it's just from their shoes, right? Like how do, how do, um, what, when, when we talk to a founder about this is our offer, how are they going to look at it? What are they going to think? You know, so, so we, we are a bit of a chameleon. I guess it, it helps that I was born in India. I, I joke a lot about this. It's like I was born in India, so I can relate to like what is that one fifth of the one fifth of the world. I grew up in America, um, so I can you know relate to a pretty successful country there and mindset there. I had a lot of Jewish friends. I used to go to synagogue a lot actually growing mm-hmm. up. So I'm like I love you know um, I, I I love that culture right, and uh, I've gone to Shabbat dinners and stuff. Right? I, I love that culture, so I can yeah. relate to a lot. I I work and live in Europe. So clearly, I can now I can relate to that. I think it was very tough the first few yeah. years. Kind of humor, everything was, was and very tough. From South Africa, and my husband's so from South Africa, so and you I once think saw I'm, Antarctica on a map. Yeah, so, so I'm missing and 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 uh, and uh, and Carlos is Honduran, so I can't cover Latin America, but he can. Sure. <laughs> so so yeah, so chameleon is probably I yeah. mean the nature like at the heart of it, right? Because you just have to you, you have to. Um, you have to work with so many different people. You're kind of like, yeah, I get it. Like I've, you know, been in these different situations and I see how you see the world. So we have to start wrapping up. So what I'm going to ask you is, and you're the best person I think we could actually ever ask this question to, which is what are the biggest mistakes you see founders make? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, so founders 
probably uh, corollary to what I just said is like I don't think founders put themselves in the shoes. Uh, they're very egocentric in a, in a way, right? In a way, you have to be to, to go on a mission to try to change the world, save the world. So that said, you're going to have to work with a lot of different constituencies. And they're, they're not listening. Like, they're not hearing those constituencies out. Um, team, their employees, who, you know, who they're hiring, why people reject their offers if they do, who are uh, keeping those teams, again, users, customers, um, lawyers, investors, so they're not listening. So I think that's often a often a big kind of mistake that that they make. Um, and and I guess for the nature of where, what we care about being very commercially driven, right? They're often again also the ones who don't do it well necessarily are not again thinking about that long term picture. Like you're building a business. If um, if you're money. yeah, and if uh, if and if you want impact kind of business or then it's different, right? Mm-hmm. Go to different people. And there are some amazing people yeah. who that or chair NGOs or charities, amazing people that are obviously doing that work. It's just not us or, or, or not potentially venture capital. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, those, those couple of, and, and do you see founders fall out a lot? Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, I, I, um, we, we see that a lot cause we see it. So we see them so early in their right. formative, formative stages. It, it's honestly, down to communication a lot. Again, not listening out to each other. Because so one of the one of the other things about what I feel hopefully I'm good at, and again that comes out is like usually when when there's a, so we deal with a lot of fire alarms, right? Like constant red like when it's going good, we just don't hear about yes, it. And yeah. We're always always hearing about whether that's founder fallouts or whatnot. And what I guess the only way I found not to get my stress levels completely out of whack every single day that we do this is to just first kind of get everybody calm and say, okay, what do you think is happening? What do you think is happening? And then you realize like there are a lot of assumptions. That's a huge mistake. I think all of us make is like you always assume going into whatever situation and, and often the conflicts come from that. Cause if you're, if you're co-founders, Again, you probably have similar values. Otherwise, why are you co-founders? And you probably have a similar mission because you wrote it on a board somewhere, right? So if those two things are there, then somewhere in that, if there's breakup happening, either there's an external event and you can't perhaps do something about like illness or death or whatever it is, yeah. right? Or And so you, so that's fine. And you got to deal with that a bit differently. But mostly it's like it's likely you made some assumptions about each other and where things are you know coming from and also a lot of bad then communication yeah. between Okay, final couple of questions. The first is a two-parter, which is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given on your journey as an investor? And then what's the best piece of advice you have for people listening that want to start companies? So as a, I mean, as an investor, I think, it, you know, our Saul, our, our board, I mean, always sort of saying, you know, you'll fall in love with all your companies and when you're investing, otherwise, why would you have? But You've got, you know, again, remember who you are and what you're here for. And you got to drill down on sort of what's what's important because that the investor word there is is the critical part. Right. Is is your that's what you're doing. And managing people's money. Managing people's money. Yeah. And, it's, and, and what was the second question? Second question is, what's the best piece of advice for listeners? So for budding entrepreneurs or even existing entrepreneurs? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, plan out your journey. Right. Plan out the steps. And, and if you plan out the next five years and 10 years of what your business are going to look like, you'll have a lot more of the right answers, most likely today and for the next year and the next two years. Yeah. And that'll make your life a lot more stress free and, and just easier for the whole team, probably. Okay. So. 
solid advice. And finally, your number one favorite investment of all time. Is it going to be really obvious or are you going to throw a curveball and not say transfer wise? Um, I guess my, my favorite business of all time. And look, you got to That's really unfair. But <laughs> I, I love the Zamanta guys. They were the first they were first. It's like your first child. Yeah. And uh, so in 2007. Yeah. And, but I, I think it's just funny because I guess it's, I love them most, or not most, but I love them so much because. Said most. <laughs> I love them so much because I think it just, it brings it all back to a bit of humility. And obviously, I just think that's critical at the end of the day. We're all going to die. And, you know, so all you have is humility. So, so what it was is, you know, I said, Oh, how did you find out about Zcap? Like, are we so great? Like, oh, we've got these amazing, you know, people around us, the founders Skype and da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. they're like, well, it was really hot in Slovenia that summer, you know, not a lot of air conditioning go- going around. We had this one office where there was air conditioning and we were just really bored and browsing the internet. And we saw this competition that was g- giving out money. <laughs> so, and that's, that's how we amazing. applied to Zcap. And I was like, Ah, oh, that's that's great. Yeah. Like it's just so it makes you have to like. Uh, and I presume it was a successful outcome. Yeah, I mean they're still working through it. Yeah. It's still it's it's, okay. uh, it's never been a straightforward journey yeah. for them. But we, it, I mean, we've always had a great relationship. And sure, like I don't think you should do this if you don't enjoy the people you work with and for and and all of that. So so that. But I just I, I also think it all it always keep it real for for me at least. And and that sort of makes it what you know my, one of my favorites. But the transferized guys too. Yeah, and, sure. And Apple. <laughs> and, anyway, Apple. and Apple. And <laughs> Apple. For anyone that wasn't allowed to be an investor, <laughs> Apple can never go wrong. Um, okay. Thank you very much, Rashma. <laughs> Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. So thank you very much to Reshma, who was uh, quite an honest and amazing guest, telling us the brief history of venture capital, how it all works, and how you as an entrepreneur should be thinking about raising money, what seed means, what VC means, and the different stages that help you get from just an idea to a multi-billion dollar valuation like TransferWise. So I hope that's valuable for you guys. Um, Rich, you obviously learned a lot because you always come from a knowledge base of zero. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a uh, it was an absolutely fascinating interview. I learned uh, even though having never raised a VC round in my life, uh, I actually learned uh, quite a lot about that. Good. So taking a little break from just the classic entrepreneurs week in week out, we wanted to mix it up a little bit. So this week you've had um, one of the UK's most respected venture capital investors, and next week we're going to bring you one of the UK's best-selling authors on entrepreneurship, the amazing Daniel Priestley, who's had four. Amazon topping business books written about entrepreneurship. The book that particularly helped him make his name was Entrepreneur Revolution. Um, so we'll be taking a lot of perspectives of how he came over from Australia, entered the UK market and became such a brilliant writer. Yes, he's built a quite large uh, following in the UK uh, well, and globally with his books that are out. So Almost cultish. You could say that. If you're into your business books, then you probably would have heard of Key Person of Influence or his new book, 24 Assets. Uh, but he's a, a very accomplished uh, 
author and you know definitely worth listening to the insights that he's got in the next episode yeah and he's a guy who actually spends all day every single day training and working with other entrepreneurs so his insights are absolutely brilliant don't forget to subscribe to us on the usual places so that's youtube soundcloud uh, itunes and uh, soon to be spotify which is very exciting well that's that's if they get back to us in time but we uh, we're hoping by next week we'll be there so where can, um, where can people write to us, Rich? People can write to us uh, at hello at secretleaders.com and you can also download and view all the background information in our interviews at secretleaders.com. So check it out there and we will see you next week. Bye.